In this episode, we're going to look at why the book of Revelation can be so hard to understand and so easy to misunderstand. To this point, we've looked at Matthew 24 and 25 to give us a foundation for understanding Revelation. Then we looked at four frameworks for interpreting the book of Revelation, historicism, futurism, preterism, and idealism. And now we're getting ready to dive in to the book of Revelation, and it's going to be awesome. Let me just read the first few verses of Revelation to get us started. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And that should be really encouraging to us because it says that we're blessed when we read it aloud and we're blessed when we hear it and that it's a revelation that came from God. God gave it to Jesus. Jesus gave it to his angel and his angel gave it to John. And so the authority is coming directly from the Father through Jesus, through his angel, through his servant John. And it's to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And so that's important to understand. It's a revelation. It's an unveiling. It's for us to understand the things that must soon take place. It's not to confuse us. It's not to perplex us or to vex us. It's to encourage us and to reveal to us something that God gave to Jesus, that Jesus gave to the angel, that the angel gave to John. And so as we get into Revelation, there are a couple of things I want us to keep in mind. And that is, our theology needs to come from the whole counsel of God, right? So we shouldn't be taking things solely from the book of Revelation. Like if we start to develop a theology and the only text that we can find to support it is in Revelation, then maybe we should pause and try and look at the full counsel of Scripture and, and test everything, you know, to test the Scripture by itself, let everything be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And so as we get into Revelation, we're going to be looking at Revelation with that perspective, that we're not looking at Revelation in a vacuum, but we're looking at it in the context of the epistles, the Gospels, the Old Testament, And that helps us understand it. That actually makes it much easier to understand versus looking at it in a vacuum. You can really come up with some interesting interpretations that perhaps are not confirmed by the rest of the scripture. So again, as we did with Matthew 24 and 25, we're going to be looking at Revelation at a very high altitude level. We're going to be going for broad strokes to try and help us understand the book. And as I said before, my goal is just to lay things out for you to take to the Lord and for you to test. And you don't have to accept what I'm saying. You just take it and you test it and you hold on to the good. And that's part of the joy of reading scriptures, that it facilitates a dialogue with the Holy Spirit and a dialogue with the Lord. It's like when you go out to see a movie with a friend and then you you and your friend can talk about the movie. When we read the scripture, we can take it to the Lord and say, God, you know, wow, this was amazing, or what does this mean, or I don't understand this, or that was so awesome the way you said that. So the scripture leads us into greater intimacy and greater enjoyment 
of the Lord. Also, as we become more acquainted with the scripture, we also see the different ways that God speaks. When we look at how God is going to speak to the Apostle John and the imagery that he uses, or for example, when God speaks to Jeremiah, God is always saying to Jeremiah, look, tell me what you see. And Jeremiah would see, for example, uh, an almond branch. And then God would use these puns with Jeremiah because he would show him something that would sound like another word. So Jeremiah says, I see an almond branch. And in Hebrew, the word almond sounds like the word watching. And then the Lord says, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. And then uh, he says again, he says, what do you see? And he says, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And the Lord says, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose on all the inhabitants of the land. And so when we learn the scripture and we get acquainted with the scripture, we begin to understand, wow, God can communicate in all sorts of ways. Maybe when God gives me a picture of something or I have this imagination, maybe the message is not literal, but he's trying to communicate something else with me. So as we kind of engage the vocabulary of God through the prophets and through revelation, it can open up our heart to other ways that God might be able to speak to us. And of course, as we get into Revelation, we're not going to be able to cover it all. Um, This is only, like I said, to whet your appetite and to help us see how amazing the Bible is, how amazing the scriptures are, how amazing Revelation is, and then you can go back and you can begin to dig into it and, and really dive in deep to the places where your heart is stirred up. And I want you to be encouraged that God's word is accessible and comprehensible. Like I said at the beginning, this was a revelation to reveal things to the servants of God, not to hide things from them. And so God's purpose is to show us things. This book is accessible. This book is comprehensible. And the more we look at it with that hope and that understanding, the more I think it will open up to us and we'll understand, wow, This is amazing. And ultimately, as I've said many times now, what we're really after, our our ultimate goal is a greater love for and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we dive into Revelation, I want to read for you a description, and I want you to try and think of the time and place where this might be happening. A throng of people move through the center of their community. They're all dressed in similar, though not identical, garb. Most of them are wearing the emblem of what appears to be a sacred bird, while others are actually dressed in costume as the bird itself. Some have painted their faces, while others have painted their entire bodies. Some are inebriated with traditional alcoholic drinks. Some are cooking food for themselves and others. Most seem quite festive on what might be a holy day as they move toward the center of their activity for this ritual connected with the current season. So in our group, I asked everybody, what do you think this is describing? And there were two answers, basically. One was like a a traditional kind of Native American celebration or ceremony. And the other thing that people suggested was a modern-day football game. And actually, I had both of those things on the PowerPoint presentation, in in the pictures of the PowerPoint presentation, that this could be describing maybe some kind of Native American dance or festival, or it could be describing an Atlanta Falcons game. And so that was just to illustrate the challenge 
of trying to understand something when you don't have very good context for what's happening. If you don't know the time, or you don't know the place, or you don't know any other information, sometimes you can come to two totally different conclusions. And so that brings us to talking about the challenges of studying Revelation. And there are a few challenges I want to talk about. First of all, context and language can be really tricky. So, for example, if I say, oh, my wife made a ton of food, of course, I don't mean that my wife made 2,000 pounds of food. But when we say a ton of food or a ton of something, we just mean a lot. And so in English, even, we have these idioms and these expressions that we're familiar with. But if someone from a different culture or different language, different time period was reading a book in English, and, for example, it said that he was pulling her leg, well, they might think, Uh, he was yanking on her appendage. You know, he was physically yanking her leg. But we know that that means to joke with someone. So there's a context that comes with language that is inherent in language and inherent in understanding a culture. Or for example, if uh, you know a teenager wants to go somewhere and they say to their parents, "Oh, come on, everyone's going." Well. Again, you know, we know that it doesn't literally mean that everyone on the planet is going to that thing, but it's just a figure of speech. Everyone's going, all my friends are going, I would like to go, etc. So that's our first challenge is context and language varies from era to era and language to language. And when you're dealing with the translation of a book, those things have to be taken into account. Secondly, Revelation is a very Judaic book. It's a very Hebrew book. In fact, scholars have called it the most Judaic book in the New Testament. And so we get a lot of Old Testament parallels in the book of Revelation. I'm going to read 20 of them for you right now. The throne vision, Revelation 4 and Ezekiel 1. The book vision, Revelation 5, Ezekiel 2 and 3. The four plagues, Revelation 6, Ezekiel 5. The slain under the altar, Revelation 6 and Ezekiel 6. The wrath of God, Revelation 6, Ezekiel 7. The seal on the saints' foreheads, Revelation 7, Ezekiel 9. The coals from the altar, Revelation 8, Ezekiel 10. No more delay, Revelation 10, Ezekiel 12. The eating of the scroll, Revelation 10, Ezekiel 2. The measuring of the temple, Revelation 11, Ezekiel 40. Jerusalem and Sodom, Revelation 11, Ezekiel 16. The cup of wrath, Revelation 14, Ezekiel 23. The vine of the land, Revelation 14, Ezekiel 15. The great harlot, Revelation 17, 18, Ezekiel 16 and 23. The lament over the city, Revelation 18, Ezekiel 27. The scavenger's feast, Revelation 19, Ezekiel 39. The first resurrection, Revelation 20, Ezekiel 37. The battle with Gog and Magog, Revelation 20, Ezekiel 38 and 39. The New Jerusalem, Revelation 21, Ezekiel 40 to 48. The River of Life, Revelation 22, Ezekiel 47. So you get a lot of parallels in Revelation from Revelation to Ezekiel, things connected to Exodus, things that a Hebrew audience a Jewish audience would have automatically associated. When they heard certain words, when they heard certain terms, they had an automatic association with, oh, I remember that from the prophet Ezekiel. I remember that from Isaiah. I remember that from Exodus. Whereas we as a non-Jewish audience may not 
immediately pick up on those connections. So our first challenge was context and language. Our second challenge was this cross-cultural dynamic of it being a very Hebrew book, a very Judaic book. And the third challenge is that it's a very symbolic book. Revelation is chock full of symbols. So here are some of the symbols of Revelation where the book actually interprets the symbol for us. The seven stars in Revelation 1 are not stars but angels. The seven lampstands are churches. The seven eyes on the lamb are really seven spirits. The bowls of incense in chapter 5 are the prayers of the saints. The dragon in chapter 12 is identified as Satan. The seven heads of the beast are seven mountains and kings from chapter 17 verses 9 and 10. The ten horns of the beast symbolize kings in chapter 17. The waters signify people in 1715. And then we have lots more images that the book does not necessarily interpret directly for the reader. We have creatures filled with eyes in Revelation 4. We have a slain but living lamb with seven eyes. We have four lone horsemen wreaking cultural havoc. We have men talking to mountains in chapter 6, verse 16. People washing robes in blood to make them white in chapter 7, verse 14. We have lion-headed, scorpion-tailed horses belching fire and smoke in 9.17, fire-breathing prophets in 11.5, a seven-headed red dragon with ten horns and seven crowns who pulls stars down from heaven in 12.3-4, a woman with eagle's wings standing on the moon in 12.14, a serpent vomiting a river of water from his mouth in 12.15, the many-crowned seven-headed beast who is a compound of four carnivores in 13.2, a two-horned beast forcing men to idolatrous worship in 1311, an angel with a sickle reaping the earth, 1415, frogs coming out of the mouth of a dragon, 1613, a prostitute riding the seven-headed beast while she's drunk on blood, 176, Christ returning from heaven with a sword in his mouth and on horseback, 1915, a city the size of a 1,500-mile-high cube floating down out of heaven, 2110, 16, a tree bearing 12 different kinds of fruits, 22-2. So the symbolism in this book is so thick. So we have these major challenges going into Revelation. Context and language is one. The cross-cultural nature of the book with all of its Old Testament references, it's a very Judaic book, it's a very Hebrew book, that's the second one, and that it's a very symbolic book is our third challenge. So... We come to this book with a linguistic, cultural, contextual, historical insufficiency. Like we come to it, generally speaking, not very well prepared to be able to understand it. So as 21st century, English-speaking, Greek-influenced Gentile readers... We read this book with a real lack, a real deficiency of contextual, cultural, historical information that the original audience had built in to their thinking. So we have a 2,000-year-old book from a foreign culture and a completely different era of human history written in symbols. It's no great wonder that it can be challenging to understand or easily misunderstood. And so as I mentioned at the beginning, because we're going for broad strokes, we're trying to get 
the big picture of what this book is about, what did it mean to the original readers, and what does it mean for us today. We're going to try and understand it by understanding some major points about this book. We want to understand what the author's intent was in writing it. We want to understand who the main characters are. We want to understand what the main flow and the storyline of the book is. And we want to understand the conclusion and what's the result of this book. And in what way is it connected to the rest of Scripture and the historical redemptive narrative that we see God laying out in the Scripture. So I want to be sure that I give credit where credit is due because so much of this uh, information did not originate with me. The scholar that I have found most helpful is a gentleman named Dr. Kenneth Gentry. Of course, I haven't read everything that's ever been written on Revelation, but I've read a handful of different guys. And I've found Kenneth Gentry's work to be the most helpful because I find it to be very rooted in the overall narrative of Scripture. And so the things that I've read that he pulls out, he's constantly rooting it back to the rest of Scripture. And I think that's a very valuable way to interpret the Bible, is to interpret the Bible in light of itself. And so I am extremely indebted to Dr. Kenneth Gentry for uh, helping me understand this book. And he has a bunch of resources on his blog. He has books. He has sermons. I watched uh, a sermon series of his that's on YouTube that was fantastic. And so I'll be referencing him as we go through this. Um, there are other scholars that I've read and other people that I'll refer to, but by far, um, Dr. Kenneth Gentry has really blessed me with his commitment to researching this and to studying it and to interpreting it through the whole narrative of Scripture. So as you hear things that pique your interest and you want to learn more, I would really encourage you to check out uh, Dr. Kenneth Gentry's website and his books and his resources because they go deep, deep, deep. Like I said, we're just going for broad strokes. We're going for a very high altitude overview to inspire us, to encourage us. But the things that pique your interest when you want to dive in deep, you can go check out his website, go check out his books and his videos and things like that. All right, so we've looked at some of the challenges of why it's hard to understand, easy to misunderstand, but we're going to push through those challenges and we're going to begin to understand this book and get blessed by it. In our next episode, we're going to start revealing Revelation. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. 